Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Joining today, she's an author, speaker, serial entrepreneur. It's Sheila Baskey. How are you doing today, Sheila? I'm wonderful, Alex. How are you? Doing so good. We are so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what you like doing growing up. Oh, well, I am from Rhode Island. I've lived in many places. Um, and what did I like to do growing up? I was sort of a creative my entire life, kind of a loner. Not, I don't know. I imagined a lot. <laughs> Let's just say that. I, uh, I I was always kind of scheming up things in my head or um, investigating things. Just kind of always was a sip sort of sit back, be quiet and observe type of girl when I was growing up. I'm so not that today, but that's what I used to be like. When you were in those times where you're alone, were you kind of preferring be independent? You like to have that control of what you wanted to do, the fun that you're having. But then over time, you kind of broke out of that shell. Well, I mean, I broke out of the shell but I will say, I still claim my alone time as sacred space. Mm-hmm. So I still really cherish having quiet alone time still. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with even just being an empath where I pick up on a lot of energy and I just need to like whew, breathe afterwards. But I have opened up in the way where I'm I'm able to use my voice where for a very long time, even with my former company, didn't even want to be like in photos. I didn't want anybody to know who I was. I just wanted mm-hmm. it to be a big secret. So yes, I've broken free from that finally. You talked about growing up in Rhode Island. I only yeah. know of Rhode Island because my <laughs> former company was headquarters there. But what's something maybe someone didn't know about Rhode Island that you enjoyed doing? eating. I mean, the food, it's funny because franchises or chains like would not do very well in Rhode Island because there's such amazing food there that it's all the mom and pop places that people go to. So it was growing up a lot of like the TGIFs and those kinds of chains would not do very well. And a lot of, um, and we have a lot of unique things for food in Rhode Island, like New York, System Hot Wieners and Dell's Lemonade. And there's just like a lot of little unique things about Rhode Island that are, um, I guess, unique to the little state that we were, are. <laughs> Is there a signature item that Rhode Island's known for? You know, Alex Anani was um, from Rhode Island. And I don't know if you remember her, but she was, um, she had a jewelry brand that was huge. Um and it was an inspirational bangle and it just went global and she was from Rhode Island. And I think there's, is it the Farley brothers? They did um, a few movies. There's some movie um, makers from Rhode Island as well. Um, trying to think what was that name of that movie? I think it's the Farley brothers. I don't, I'm, I'm not mistaken, but <laughs> growing up, <laughs> Did you have anyone that was kind of like a motivator or an inspiration for you? Oh, that's a good question. I'd have to say my mom more than anything. Is there a specific moment that kind of made a big impact for you growing up from your mom? Uh, Well, yeah, she's a survivor. So she, um, she is from Italy. 
So I am um, first generation Italian and she moved here when she was 21 years old. And um, from a family of 10, 11 actually, and one had passed away in Rhode Island. And they came to Ellis Island in 1968, I believe. And she was 21 years old and didn't speak the language and um, met my dad, my my birth father, uh, shortly after. And then they were married within a year. I think they got married in 1969. And my mom was a widow after I was born. So I was one when he passed away. And my brother was 11 months older than me. And um, she, you know, she was a widow at 23, wow. 24 years old. Yeah with two kids and didn't really speak the language. And she told me a lot of stories, like when they came here, how she worked in the factories and, you know, she felt very inferior because she just worked double shifts to make money and everybody was kind of threatened by her. And so she would sit alone and she felt embarrassed that she didn't know how to speak English. So she actually watched soap operas to learn how to speak English. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. When you were growing up with a single mom, did it make things challenging or did you guys, you and your brother work together to help out around the house and things like that? Mm. Well, let's just say my mom was very blessed and I was very blessed that she ended up falling in love with um, my father. I just call him my father because he raised us and I I look at him as nothing but a father. So uh, I think we were, I was four when she got married to him. And we, uh, this is an Italian family. So I was the oldest female. Mm-hmm. So my brother didn't do anything. <laughs> I, <don't, laughs> I remember ironing handkerchiefs when I think I was like eight or nine years old and underwear. I mean, that's just what you did as an Italian. So, yeah. Did any of those that's a things- lot of chores. <laughs> yes. Did anything you did where you had to be, like do something that an adult would do, did it help you where you are today on those skills or that mindset, morals, things like that? I, I believe it did 100%, honestly. I My mom never treated us like babies, let's say, you know, and, and it was a challenging kind of childhood. So we went through a lot with, I went through a lot with, you know, my dad when he passed and my, that side of the family looked at my brother as if he was the reborn son. And so it was really hard um, emotionally. And I think that in itself, plus being responsible as the oldest daughter, because I have two younger sisters as well. So by they're five and 10 years younger than me. So yeah, I guess there was a lot of responsibility on me. But I definitely think it's what shaped me to be who I am today, 100%. And my mom was like old school, strict Italian. <laughs> so she got way easy on my youngest sister, but she, we all broke her in, uh, thank God. But yeah, it was definitely different. And I, I, I actually believe that that's got a lot to do with who I am today. I had divorced parents at a young age. And so like mm-hmm. you go to certain houses, my mom got remarried, but my dad never did. And mm-hmm. I felt like sometimes if I went to my dad's house, I had to be an adult in a way or take on more responsibilities to help around. But I feel that, and this is my point of view, is a lot of times that helps me become who I am. Living on my own, living 
having a house, I have to take on those responsibilities. And I think if you start young, not young, but like middle school, high school, that age where you're doing the laundry, you're cleaning the dishes, cooking, I think it helps you when you get to those, when you're out on your own and you're living on your own, because I think mm-hmm. nowadays you hear, oh, I can just DoorDash. Oh, I can Uber Eats. Well, yeah, but <laughs> that's just wasting money. But things like that, I think it's there's nothing wrong with it. Everyone should experience it because you see a lot of these TV families that they take, the kids take things for granted because they think there's so much power in the dollar. And then they lose it all and they're like, I don't know what to do now. Now what do we do? Exactly. Yeah, what do we do now? Do we do now? Mm-hmm. No, 100%. I... I I swear I talk probably talk about it every day how I really do miss how it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um I mean I moved out right when I graduated high school and moved to Daytona Beach and I mean my calling was always to go to Florida that's another story but um, <laughs> <laughs> I was like just turned 18 and had an apartment and had a job. I was working since I was 14. I had three jobs in high school and I don't know, bought my car. And when I was, I just remember it's pretty funny as an 18 year old, I'd be like, you know, carrying my mom's tradition, making sauce on Sunday and meatballs. And everybody in the, in the apartment building would be like, Oh, and they'd come over like, Oh, I got meatballs. And I got <laughs> so yeah. I mean, you don't see that today anymore. Kids, yeah. kids want, they go off to college and then they're home and then they graduate and then they're, you know, where are they going? What are they doing? Right. So there's yeah. kind of, led me to what I'm doing, but yeah. So you talked after you graduate high school, 18, you moved to Florida. Let's get yeah. into that. What yeah. brought you to Florida and especially Daytona? <laughs> I've been to Daytona and it's so nice, but what was going on in your journey through that time? All right. Well, I've lived a very fun life. Let's just say that. So, um, okay. The truth is I went to Daytona Beach. Now we're talking like a, I graduated in 90, 1990. So Daytona Beach was like MTV's spring break. Um, you know, it was fun. And I went when I was a senior in high school, a friend of mine and I drove down there for spring break and I'm like, Embry Riddle was there and it was a pilot school. (laughs) So the ratio of boys to girls was pretty darn good. So I, I wanted to, I was in fashion merchandising in high school, um, in vocational, and I wanted to go to FIT in New York. And my, my, my father said, you're not going to New York over my dead body. You're going to come home in a body bag. So I came home from Daytona. I said, okay, I'm going to go to Daytona Beach Community College. And that's where oh. I went for a semester, but that's it. Yeah. Did that kind of be a eye opener in the way that you lived back home versus now you are miles away from home and mm-hmm. it's a different lifestyle? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, of course. I mean, I miss my family a lot, but Florida is still where I need. It's where my heart is. It's where I need to be um, physically. I need to be in the warm weather. I need sunny days. So unfortunately, um I can't get them all to move here, but (laughs) (laughs) but it is definitely different in some regard, just, just being miles apart. You know, I can't just show up on their Sunday dinners anymore as I, you know, or get back there as often, you know, life happens and you have children and all these other things and obligations. So yeah, I miss my family a lot, actually. 
What was next after community college? Did you end up going to university or right into the workforce? Oh, I, yeah, I was addicted to working. I've been, I'm still a workaholic, but <laughs> I, I um, was in the bar, restaurant and bar industry. Cause that's where I started at 14 and um, kind of moved up from cocktail waitress to bartender. And then I was making money doing that. And then when my parents, you know, we didn't have cell phones back then. So uh, you just checked in every once in a while when they found out I wasn't going to school because I preferred to do bartending shifts instead. Um, they were like, get your butt home. So I had to go home. And then I moved back to Florida like six months later and lived in South Beach and bartended there. And then anyway, I'll just make a really long story short. I went from Florida back to Rhode Island a couple of times. And then I got married at 21 years old, believe it or not, my first marriage and opened up a restaurant at 23 in Providence, Rhode Island. So wow. I did that and I, yeah, I've got, yeah, I feel like I, there's a lot of chapters in my life. Going a few years back, what <laughs> was this the dream job for you? Like opening a bar, opening a restaurant? Was that yeah. always the main goal for you? In high school and growing up, it was, I always knew I wanted my own business. I didn't know what exactly that was. Um, and then at that time in high school and growing up, Friends was on TV and sitcoms, and I really had been in the industry for so long, and I kind of knew it in and out. So I was like, "Well, I'm going to own a restaurant. That's what I'm going to do." I wanted to actually own a um, like a coffee house, like Friends, okay. but I didn't do that. It was a New York style deli and cafe in Rhode Island, but close. <laughs> what was the most challenging part about owning your own business, especially a restaurant? Well, I'll tell you what, that is an education that Harvard or any, you know, I'm not discounting any college university at all. I admire everybody that can do it. I just, for me, school was really hard mm -hmm. and um, I couldn't focus. I just couldn't comprehend stuff and a bit dyslexic and OCD and EDD, whatever you want to call it. But so I just could never sit still. And I just was a challenge for me, but the restaurant industry kind of kept you on your toes and it was very hard to manage so many people, such a quick turnover kind of industry, keeping people happy. You really learned a lot. So when I, you know, after that experience, it was like I had, I had done for me, it was like the greatest experience and taught me a lot and it got me a lot of jobs actually just by saying I owned a restaurant they're like okay when you are qualified for pretty much anything at this point so if you could do that you can do pretty much anything yeah is there something that was a positive that many people maybe wouldn't expect that would come from owning a restaurant you kind of mentioned that it helped you prepare yourself for future jobs where it was kind of like a resume builder. But is there anything unique that maybe it taught you a new skill that you maybe didn't have? Hmm. I don't know. Maybe coming out of my shell, I think that was definitely one of them. And and being personable because you have to be. Yeah. But what I really valued, honestly, was the relationships we had built with our customers. And to this day, like we're still known as the backstage deli girls or whatever you want to call it, but it was kind, we, it was very local and a more of a corporate um, setting. So 
you saw those customers sometimes two, three times a day and you knew everybody's name, you knew what they ordered when they came on Thursdays, you knew what they were getting. And I just, I think it was about retaining that relationship and building that relationship with, um, with people one-on-one understanding what they want and treating them how they should be treated when they come and spend money in your establishment. The best part about Christmas stockings on everyone's name on the wall every year too. Especially with relationship building, that is a tool that you can take anywhere, any organization, any company, even in your personal life and private life, because those are the true relationships, especially that can grow a company, grow a Mm -hmm. friendship, grow a bond. And I'm glad you mentioned that because a lot of listeners might be going through something similar where they're in a job and it's relationship building. Like I used to work at a grocery store and you would remember the same people coming through. They remember you, you remember them. And you kind of form that bond because if they're coming through your line all the time, they trust you. They know that they're going to get good service. And that's what your customers were doing. They know that they were going to get good food, good quality service. And that's why they kept coming to you. 100%. I mean, they, you know, they felt great and we felt great that they kept coming back. And I think that's so important. It just kind of like even I have my prescriptions at, at one of the supermarkets here and I have to drive right now, 25 minutes to get there, but I don't want to leave it because when I walk in, they know who I am. Yes. And I value that. That's value to me. So I don't, I, I'd even rather pay more there and drive further just because I just, know that they know who I am and they'll take care of me. So I think that is so important. 100%. I love that you mentioned that because when I moved, I'm like, where am I going to go doctors and yeah. stuff? And I go, I'm going to make that drive because I love the bonds and the service I get. So I'm glad you said that because I'm like, I know the same feeling there. Yeah. yeah. A I lot mean, of- it's true today, right? I mean, we have some favorite restaurants we go to because they treat us exactly. so well and love so much so yeah you always want to feel like you're important and special to somebody and they value you and you value them so yeah it feels good you talked about getting married at 21 and owning Mm -hmm. a business sometimes we see on tv the news that a business can hurt a relationship especially Mm -hmm. if they're not both in the ownership of the company Mm -hmm. but just that one it might take a lot of time how did that play an effect for you? Did it actually grow the the marriage or did it hurt? Did it hurt your fa- the bond with the family time and things like that? What what happened for you? Uh, for me personally, it was a lot about, um, well, we tried having children and we couldn't. So he was a very free spirited kind of guy, very chill, very laid back. I'm a high strung one. You know, I was the one that wanted to have the business. And, and when I think we were like 26 or 27 at the time. And I just remember looking at him one day and I'm like, he looks so miserable. He'd much be rather jumping out of an airplane and skiing or helicopter or whatever you want to do it. And I know he wanted to just be a ski bomb and live on the mountains and, he was doing it all for me. And I, I just remember looking at him this one day and saying, well, we can't have children and I really want children and you want to ski on a mountain. Do you, we're still young. And it wasn't like we, we never fought. I mean, we got along Mm -hmm. really well. Um, But I just, I just felt like, I feel like we're going to 
grow. And in 15, 20 years, we're going to hate each other and resent one another. And I don't want that to happen. And so we kind of mutually agreed to part ways at that time. So I think he's still living in France somewhere on a mountain. So, wow. yeah. Mm-hmm. With that going on in your life, you have had some personal stuff happen in your life that has taken a toll for you. Talk about those experiences. Um, Sure. Which one? <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we'll start when I was young. I, um, I was 10 and something was going on with my finger in my right index finger and long story short, no one could figure out what it was. So we went from doctor to doctor and couldn't figure, then multiple things started happening after that. And nobody could understand what was going on with my, with, with me or with my arm. And, um, basically they, one of the doctors said to my mom, you know, we don't know what this is, but all we can tell you is it's very serious and she's not going to live. So my mom says, okay. And so she tells my family members and some friends and someone had recommended we go to Boston Children's Hospital at that time. So I was about 11 and we finally got into Boston Children's Hospital and I went in and they were like, mm, I won't say hundreds. That was the other thing, but multiple doctors that would look at me and, you know, examine and everything. And they just kind of came up with, okay, we think it's this, this is what we're diagnosing her with, which was called scleroderma. And um, it was very, very, it's a very rare disease, but it usually will happen typically to women in their thirties to fifties. And it, it does kind of come with a death sentence. So, they had given me five years to live. And I really, at that time, I didn't even have any function of my right hand or my right arm at all. So, you know, that's what they gave the diagnosis that they gave my mom and getting it as a child was even more rare. So it's like winning Powerball three times or something like that. Really crazy. So I ended up being a case study at Boston children's hospital at that time. And, um, so 11, so we'll, we'll fast forward to freshman year. I was 14 and my arm did look really bad. I, I, you know, they said I had to become left-handed and I couldn't really hold anything. And it was, it looked like I was burned in a fire and I had no function, but, um, and it's funny because I just watched one of your episodes where you had a teacher on there and she worked really hard to inspire those kids and what an impact teachers really can make on children. And it was my health teacher one day when I was 14 and we went into class and he said, um, we're going to learn about the power of the mind today. And he said, and I'll never forget what your mind gives power to has power over you. And he talked about how powerful your mind is. And that just really struck a chord with me. So from that day on, I went home and I said, I am no longer giving this disease any more of my attention. I went off all of my medications. I said, I don't want to see another doctor. I'm done being a case study. Um, we're not discussing it. I'm going to be fine. Everything's going to be good. And we're just going to treat me normal and everything's going to be normal. And then I started just squeezing a tennis ball. And then I was having regaining function of my hand. And then I was, I went to the gym to work out my arms and I just turned 50 this year. So wow. 
Do you feel that if you didn't, I mean, this is a what if, but if yeah. that teacher didn't say that line, mm-hmm. that it would have been harder because that kind of gave you that boost of energy to kind of take control and do what you thought was needed for your recovery and regaining all that strength. 100%. I mean, may I have figured that out later on in life? I do think so if I made it that far. Mm-hmm. But being told at that time, because I was always kind of different and I never really liked to follow rules or did what everybody else was doing. If everybody was going right, I went left. It's kind of the person I am and questioned everything. And when he said that, it really did strike that chord with me. And I was like, hmm, yeah. I'm not what I'm sitting here thinking about it constantly and like, you know, waiting for it to get worse and seeing doctors makes me feel worse on it. No one knows what's, I don't even know why I'm seeing them. They don't even know what to do. They're just making notes, you know, yeah. no one knows what to do for me anyway. So yeah, I mean, it was super pivotal, pivotal for me to hear that. I think at that time, and it was just like a poof in my head. Look- Looking, yeah, go ahead. Where you are now with your strength that you have, and you mentioned turning 50, does it feel that you are able to accomplish anything that you put in your mind? Basically, the control, the mental aspect is so strong for you. Where if you're going through something, you're going to fight through it because you're mentally strong to go through it. Yes, I'm not going to still say that's easy though. Correct. Yeah. it's, it takes a lot of work and a lot of effort and um, consistency because trust me, uh, it's not easy, <laughs> but yeah, I think I, I feel invincible at this point in my life. I guess I feel like I can do anything I want to do. So, but I didn't feel like that my whole life. So it, it still took a really long time to get there, but now you're like, I don't know, 50 was like a really big milestone for me. And I made it this far. I make another 50 more. God Some, someone is listening to this that might be struggling in different ways and they need that self-encouragement. What would you tell that listener that to get through it, to battle through it, to almost rise to the challenge? Hmm. Yeah. Um, self-reflection is so important. Um, for me, um, becoming one with yourself. I really feel like you need to be really clear with yourself and your soul, and your purpose and what you're doing and who you are and love yourself. And I think once you really accomplish that and make up a mind or make a decision to do something and just stick with it and go forward, you really will get through it. And I really feel that those challenges come for those reasons for us to rise above. I mean, I put this, you know, I wrote this in my book too. Like how boring would life be if everything was great every day? Would you really even appreciate it? Right? Mm -hmm. So it, it is about us being faced with challenges and how do we face those challenges and rise above them? And And it does take a strong will. And I think you have to go through a process, almost like a divorce. You have to go through, or a death. You have to go through all these processes before you reach that point. But that's the growth. That's where the growth is. A great transition. You started talking about your book. 
as an author, what made you want to write a book? Well, as I went through a lot of the stages and journeys of my life, my kids say, I would always say, it's just another chapter in my book. It's just another <laughs> chapter in my book. And I always think I said that for about 18 years. And wow. I always wanted to write a book, but I'm like, I don't know. I can barely read well. How am I going to write a book? Because I'm more of an audio person. Um, and anyway, I when I, lo I lost my former company in 2020, and that was a really big low point in fighting life battling fight in my life again. So when I when I went through that challenge, it was sort of like, what? Who am I and what am I supposed to be doing right now? And I just felt the call, write the book, write the book. So I started, I actually wrote this, I was, I did a collaboration book called um, Engaging Speakers, Voices of Truth. And it was 22 authors in that book. And I started writing my chapter in that book. And that sort of happened very synchronistically and when I did that, I was like, if I can do this, I can write the book. So then I started, I just decided I'm going to write this book. And so I started writing that book. And then I felt the book wasn't enough. So then I was like, I need more. I created a deck of cards. And then I said, I need more. And I created a journal. So then I created an experience. So I'm like, a book's not enough. Everybody's going to read it, want to run through a wall for a day, put it on a shelf and forget about it, go back to their patterns in three days or seven days. So what can we do to keep this simple, easy, not take up so much time, what have you, uh, a quick thing to do on a daily basis that would implement a regimen and create consistency so that you could see the magic actually happen. So it was an experience. What is the overall theme of the experience? Is there a certain topic or a certain item that it's pertaining to, or is it grouping multiple different things together? What's funny is it's really all things we probably know. We all know. It's how do we implement all of these tools and what is really important to, it's called powerful mind, powerful soul. And, and really what goes into that, um, so it's more spiritual based, but it has a lot of my journeys on there as well. And what did I do to get through those challenges? So it's relatable. And I, I'm just in, like everybody else. So I wanted something not, I just wanted something that would be understandable, very simple. Okay, I can read a chapter on the toilet if I want to. It'll take me six, seven minutes. Okay. Like there's no excuse. I covered every excuse in the book that anybody would give. Cause I would be that person that would give every excuse. So I knew the excuses. So that being said, I tried to cover every excuse and it is something I practiced honestly for probably the last 17 years I've been doing um, on my own is just journaling and writing and to myself, but connecting my soul, my spirit, my mind and how I've gotten through all of those challenges was really to be able to, ex even though it was alone or what have you, it was expressing those things. And um, so just taking those top few things that really hold us back that we all know, but need reminders of, I think. 
When you were writing your book and retelling those experiences, did it kind of bring up some memories that you didn't know or you didn't remember at the time? It kind of just triggered to you. I would say I always knew and always remember, which Alex, good point. Yes, they triggered me. They did. And uh, it was another challenge I had to go through was, oh, I thought I buried all this stuff. I didn't. And I kind of had to rehash it all over again. Yeah. I think so many people relate because you'll have those moments where it it happens and then you kind of moved on from it. But there's some little thing that happens out of nowhere or you hear it on TV and you're like, whoa, whoa. Like it kind of gives you that flashback. And I think a lot of people have a hard time expressing it again because they don't want to go through that pain and trauma. But sometimes telling it maybe in a different mindset or a different time in life, it can be so powerful because you never know who is going to relate. I think people tell their story and they're afraid, oh, I'm the only one that's going through it. There's so many people that are going through it. They might just be afraid to share and talk about it. And that's how we all connect. 100%. And honestly, I felt that God called me to share this, to heal as many people as I possibly can. Because let's face it, who doesn't have a story? Yep. Who doesn't? I want to meet someone who doesn't, you know, show me that person. Because <laughs> we all, we really do. And it's how are we coping with it? How are we dealing with it? And like I said, I'm another person than I was when I started the book. Now I'm going to need to write another one because... <laughs> That triggered me. Yeah. And I had to heal from that again. So it, it, it's, it's an, it's an ongoing thing. And, you know, we should never stop trying to grow. I think that's really yeah. important. Like don't ever be comfortable. Then you, that's a problem. So you do, you do think they're gone. They come back. And um, how do we, and honestly, <laughs> this is really funny, but I just reread my book seven times. Wow. I'm, taking my own advice and listening to my own words going, Oh, okay. So, <laughs> and I wrote it. So there you go. Yeah. Those deck of cards. Is that something that maybe other people have never done and you're kind of showcasing a different way of looking at your story or your challenges in a different look? Um, I don't know if anybody has or not, if I'm being honest, what I will say is that, I do read angel cards. So for me, I would journal every day and then I would pull angel cards. But I know we're living in this world today where it's like, you got to be really careful because some people feel like that's not good or, Mm -hmm. and honestly, I really wanted to touch everyone, male, female, adults, young adults, teenagers, So what would it be that would inspire them and be able to read this, do this, and it doesn't matter what you are, what you believe, what your religion is. So again, try to cover every excuse or topic in the book. So I mean, who doesn't want to be inspired? So they're just inspirational quotes with exercises that you can do on that daily basis. And the journal holds you accountable for them. So I kind of kept the... I just try to keep it simple again. So I'm sure there's inspirational cards out there. I really don't know. But I know that I was trying to reach an entire audience. And how do I do that and mainstream that? 
Have you been open with your children about your challenges since you ha- wrote a book and now it's out there to the public? And <laughs> have you been able to be open with them if they do have questions about certain things that you've been challenged with in your life? I am an open book and my children know everything. Yes. And they've been faced with lots of challenges. Um, and I... I'm hoping that I would be the inspiration for them and I'm trying to cut that cord of the generational, whatever you want to call it, curse, whatever you want to call it. But I wanted to empower my girls to uh, be the best that they can be. They roll their eyes at me all the time. You know, (laughs) I don't need to read your book. I hear the same story every day. But they're great. I mean, but I do think that's what's helped make them stronger, too, and more independent. And and funny enough, they're both entrepreneurs, too. So they're young, but uh, that's the journey they're going on. And it's just, uh, yeah, no, I have never hidden anything from them. They know everything. What's been the most rewarding thing about being a mother? Hmm. God, there's so many, actually. Um, the, the best part for me is when it's genuine and real and they call you because they really need you. And, you know, when I try to preach, it's like, la, la, la. But then <laughs> when they're calling you, because it's like, mom, I, I really need to talk to you about this. And it makes my heart full because I know I'm there for them. So that, that, that means a lot to me. And I, I will admit they, they actually really surprised me when I did the book launch and they both got up and spoke. And those were probably the nicest words I've ever heard in my life from Aww. my children. Probably my proudest mom moment ever. Yeah. Would you say that you have a close bond with them? They're kind of like, cause I, I, as you were mentioning how you are with your daughters, I'm like that with my mom. I yeah. have that close bond where if she's telling me, sometimes I'm like, it's just stop, just stop. But she knows that I will call her and I'll, she'll be like, didn't you remember I just told you this like a week ago? Yeah. I, but I have that close bond. Like her and I will talk like five times a day on the phone. Like That's wonderful. during work, like we know if we're off, we're going to call each other. It's just, we've built that bond where we enjoy our lives, but we're family. We're all, yeah. we're, we love each other. So she's going to listen to this and start crying. Yeah. She hears I, I like this. love that because, you know, especially as a male, I mean, most moms kind of expect to not have that growing up or as they grow up. And that's really, that's a testament to who you are. So that's really wonderful. Good for you. Um, yes. And I do, uh, yeah, we, we just are really like best friends, but we're not, it's like, until they start disrespecting me, then I'm like, I am not your friend, you know, <laughs> do not talk to me that way. <laughs> yes. As a speaker, what's the biggest message you're sharing to an audience or listeners? What are you hoping to come across to them? I truly, truly just want to, I feel like everyone is craving something inside mm-hmm. and my hope and my mission, the whole purpose of this is really to teach and, and share 
my story so that everyone knows they're not alone. Like mm-hmm. I said before, we all do have a story and how can you begin your own healing process? And my most important thing is really teaching everybody how to love yourself and how to forgive yourself, how to love yourself, because you can't be that best person for your children, for yeah. your boy, your spouse, your friends, your boss, if you don't love yourself the most first. And it took me a long time to learn that, but that's the truth. Yeah. Looking at your journey as a reflection, do you feel that every step you've taken has gotten to where you are today or would, if you could change something, would you have done anything differently? No. Nope. I feel like I was trained, prepared, and taught for this time now. I, like I wouldn't. That. No. I always feel that everything happens for a reason mm-hmm. and the calling is there. Um, mm-hmm. we, there's always that I wish that didn't happen, but I feel yeah. that those challenges you face, you get mm-hmm. stronger and stronger and you mm-hmm. kind of, and you've been through that journey where each challenge made you even stronger. And that is just mm-hmm. a testament to your strength, your power and your mind. And I think a lot of people are going to look at this and be that way. They're going to face those challenges head on and know that it were there's so many people going through that. We just all have to be there as support and be there for each other. Mm-hmm. We're living in a time right now, I feel, where we become so divided and confused and lost. Mm-hmm. And we need to put all that away. Yep. At the end of the day, we are human beings who all want to be loved, who all crave love, who all want to be kind and have kindness come back to us. And we're all, let's face it, facing a battle, whatever it may be. But I think we need to set, we just need to get rid of all the negativity that's out there right now and come together as human beings. That's it, as human beings. Something our listeners love is to get to know our guests even more. What do you like doing on a daily basis during your time now? Um, my favorite thing to do is lay in the sun and unplug. That's I'm my jealous. Favorite. I'm just jealous. Sorry. <laughs> Honestly, it's like I I love running, but I haven't been able to run in a couple of years. But so I missed that. I wish I I'm gonna I'm actually I'm trying to get back there again. But um, I wish <laughs> my favorite thing to do is not look at a phone or an email, or anything, and just literally be on a boat, be by the water, just be in the sun. I don't know. It just, it charges me. That's my favorite thing to do. (laughs) If I had to, if I could live anywhere, it'd be on the water. Because, like, the things you said, there's something about being out there in the sun, on the sand, in the water, that just rejuvenates. And Mm -hmm. it brings energy and power that it gets me like, okay, I'm ready to conquer what's next. Like yeah. if I got to go to work, I'm ready to go do that. I need that break, but I'm ready for what's next. And, but then I'm in the Midwest and it's like, well, it's going to snow tomorrow, but then it could just be 90 degrees outside. You never know what's going to happen. <laughs> Alex, you know, I think it's just being out in nature 
I yes, I will say that. Right, because for me, it's the sun, but for somebody else, it's being on the mountains. For somebody else, it's being on a hike. It's it does. I think it's just the energy is on our earth. Yeah, and and you, whatever you love to do, and even if you can't be in the sun, I think just go for a five minute brisk walk. You know, yep. and just I will tell you when I was running. I didn't meditate for some of those times because, or our journal, I didn't need to. I actually had to stop and make notes in my phone because the downloads that would come to me would be like insane. So it was like a form of my meditation. I think people think that when you meditate, you have to sit there like this and that's great if you can, but I can't even do that. I can barely do that for a minute. Meditating to me is just being in a state where I'm kind of tranquil Mm -hmm. and whatever that is. And like for me, so running was just my thing where all this stuff would just start coming to me and that's connecting. And like I said, it doesn't have to be, it's whatever it is for you, but it's touching the ground. It's being in the earth, being outside. That's just getting that earthly energy to me. Do you have any goals for yourself in the next few years, personally and professionally? Something you want to accomplish? Hmm. I want to go on a Mediterranean cruise. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have not spoken publicly on a stage yet. Well, I haven't as a panelist, but not that. So that's one of my goals is really to, um, to do that. Even if it's one of my dreams is really to speak with high school students. So Um, the young adults really are my passion, honestly. And I feel if anyone's craving anything, it's them. They are to me, they need a little bit of help. And I would love, love, love to speak at schools. If I could do what my health teacher did for me and I could impact one person that made the difference, then that would be so worth it. Yeah. The final question I'll ask you, for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals, and rise to the challenge? Um, I would say you should read Powerful Mind, Powerful Soul. (laughs) (laughs) I would say you really do, whether you grab a notebook, whatever that is, you need to be clear on what your goals are and then break them down. Take your goal, break it down and believe it's achievable. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the biggest things we need to do. And someone needs to do is, you know, we all think everything is impossible, but nothing really is. Someone invented something we're all using or creating. So what do you want to do? Be clear on that and then believe you can do it. And then write down the steps and processes you need to do to get there and, and set realistic goals too. You know, like some people just set too much of too many aggressive goals where be a little more realistic, give your, cut yourself some slack, give yourself a little more time. And if you don't make the deadline, move it further, but you're getting there. And I think that's the other thing. Don't beat yourself up if you're not making it on the deadline, just, um, have a goal, but it doesn't have to be your end all be all where you just throw in the towel and quit either. Um, and consistency, consistency is key. Yeah. 
Well, Sheila, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Oh, thank you so much, Alex. It was so nice meeting you and talking with you tonight. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Tune in next time here. My next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow, subscribe on all major audio platforms and make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel through the full length episode and video format. What path do you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.